Hi, you're listening to another podcast from I'dRatherBeWriting.com. My name is Tom Johnson. Today I'm talking with Mark Baker, who many of you probably know. He has a blog at EveryPageIsPage1.com and a book uh, by the same name, Every Page is Page One. And uh, today we're talking about API <clears throat> API documentation. Um, Mark, tell me a little bit uh, about the kinds of API documentation that you work with. Um, I've worked with a fair f- number of different types over the years. Um, C documentation for an embedded operating system was a big part of it. Um, fair amount of um, XSLT API uh, documentation, which is for my own project, the Spiffy Open Toolkit. I've done some work with REST and also with the Omnimark programming language back in the day. Now, um, when it, with respect to the tool chain and publishing all of this API reference documentation in with uh, other documentation such as user guides and tutorials, how do you approach that or what do you think the best strategy is? Well, I think you know, one of the sort of Techcom 101, and I, and I think we've kind of, of forgotten this a little bit in the rush to the API docs, is that it's fundamentally about tasks. People use APIs to solve programming problems, uh, and they solve programming problems in order to solve business problems. And Techcom is really about helping people solve business problems. Um, so if we treat API docs as something existing in isolation. We're really back in the old featureitis, um, where we just say here here is the here is the product interface and how it works, you know. And and, and comes to every other thing we document. Well, we 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 got rid of that idea a long time ago, um, but. It's very easy to somehow to slip back into that and to think that all that counts with API docs um, is the API reference itself. Um, but that that really doesn't work. It's a very important document. Um, but if all you've got is a formal API reference, you're going to struggle to figure out how to solve real-world problems. So I think it's really important that it be fully integrated. And... You know, we don't live in a world anymore where people would accept that it was fine to have an API reference document open on one knee and a programmer's guide open on the other knee. And, you know, if you hit something in the programmer's guide where it said use this function, that you'd flip over to the index of the API reference document on your other knee. Uh, it doesn't work like that anymore. Um, we expect to access all documentation through one interface, and we think of documentation as one thing. So the, the challenge is that level of integration that we need to, to get back to Techcom 101, frankly, um, and that we don't get in so many cases because the API reference is coming through an entirely different tool chain from everything else. That question is it seems incredibly important. Um, I know that with with REST, the opportunities for integration seem much more plausible and easy because you don't necessarily generate the document the reference documentation from the source, right? You 
have it you already have to create it manually so why not integrate it with your tasks and other user guide type topics um, and and definitely rest is the most popular kind of API right now so that's looking good but what about for um, some of these more difficult tool chains or or difficult platforms like Java C++ and so forth how do you push their auto-generated doc into um, into your user guide tasks um, well in most cases um, you know those those doc chains like every other tool chain we have um, in, in techcom today is really ha suffers from really tight vertical coupling right all the pieces are all tied together so a something like Doxygen or Java doc or any of these have a parser that goes through, reads the code, gets significant stuff out of the code, picks up the code comments, and then it has a an engine for creating HTML or PDF or whatever. And every single one of these has their own HTML PDF engine. Um, and so what you really want to do is split that in the middle. You want the engine that goes in and parses the code pulls out the significant details of, 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 of each of the functions, the parameters, all that stuff, um, and pulls out the code comments in whatever the uh, commenting convention that's being used is. Um, and then you want to take that and you want to throw it through um, the same tool chain that everything else in your system is being sent through. And ideally what you want to do, of course, is is have any linking that's happening in your tool chain, uh, and hopefully there is automated linking in your tool chain, um, so that these things are linked together, so that when in the programmer's guide you mention an API, um, automatically you get a link into the API reference, and when you, uh, and you know the API reference hopefully would be able to have a list of the um, the code samples that are available that use this API. Uh, and that sort of stuff should be generated. Well, to do that, you kind of have to crack the, 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 the extraction tool in the middle. Fortunately, that's actually easy to do in a lot of them because a lot of them are using XML as an intermediate format. So they do the parsing, they create XML, and then their back end takes that XML and processes it. And most of them have got a flag that you can put that will give you the XML. So you can, you can, in fact, break that tightly coupled system apart, get that XML, process it in whatever way you need to do to make it compatible with whatever tool chain you're using, be that, uh, you know, Ditter or DocBook or Spiffy or even non-XML stuff. I mean, you could, you could process it to throw it into Confluence now, it's all structured data, and you can, if you've got structured data, you can process it into anything you like. So that's what you've got to do. You've got to break that tool chain piece. Get now, your XML process. Now, you, you describe this and make it sound like it's totally something a regular tech writer can do, but uh, it seems like a very advanced task that would require somebody to really know how to transform XML from different sources and manipulate it. Am I right? I mean, certainly it's not something that has traditionally been part of the average tech writer's toolkit. Um, I think 
you know, what the average tech writer needs to have in their toolkit is changing, and, and we've seen that. I was actually just this morning um, listening to a, a podcast you did, um, you know, on recruiting of, of, of tech writers in Silicon Valley, and, and um, the theme, one of the themes there was, you know, how much more important technical skills have become. So we know the role and, uh, has changed. Uh, at the same time, I think, you know, any organization of any size um, either has, an, has or needs to have an information architect um, or a doc tools person who should be capable of doing these kinds of integrations. You know, it's not uh, that level of integration. is probably not something you expect every tech writer to do. Uh, I think what I would hope to get, we, we get to is the point where every tech writer is saying, hey, it's ridiculous that these two things are isolated from each other and that we can't easily generate links between them and, and go and say, somebody, build me a system that will do this. Um, we don't have to every tech writer be able to do it. I think we have to get to the point where every tech writer thinks that that's how it ought to be and starts demanding that somebody build them something that do it. Now, with, with, uh, let's talk specifically about something like Javadoc. Um, if uh, a technical writer is working on Java API documentation and it's traditionally been, at least the reference part, has been published as a Javadoc output, um, is there an argument to be made about uh, going with the flow of predictable uh, outputs? All Java developers have no doubt seen the Javadoc format. They're used to how it's laid out how it's organized, how to find information in there. If we suddenly take and extract this information and put it into our own custom format, is that going to make it less familiar to Java developers? Well, I think there's no reason that you, if that format is familiar and is working for them, and I don't mean the, you know, the, the incidentals of format, the font sizes and stuff like that, I mean the organization of, of the material. Uh, if it's working for them, I don't see any reason you can't reproduce it in your own tool chain. It's, that's just a way of presenting the information. Uh, so if you can reproduce that structure, um, reproduce the same linking and organization that's already happening there, and then add more, um, you know, add the links that take you into the code samples and, and so forth, and and more importantly, be able to link from code samples and, and do general documentation into those pages, um, then that's, you know, entirely appropriate uh, and, and certainly doable. Um, I think one needs to um examine whether that format whether is it a case of people are used to that format because that's the format they were stuck with or is it that that's the format that has emerged as ideal over the years and 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 so it's the one that that best serves people's needs and i have no idea for javadoc in particular which of those two things it is i mean sometimes you know, the format adapts to the audience and sometimes the audience adapts to the format. So if it's the audience is adapted to the format and you can give them something better without too badly blowing their minds, then that's probably what you should do. If that's the ideal layout, reproduce it. 
integrate and reproduce. That's that's a good point. Um, I, I want to kind of switch more into REST uh, APIs. Now, I know that, so so when we document REST APIs, there's really no formal structure that people follow, and yet REST has very, very um, kind of concrete patterns that people hit. For example, if you're documenting a REST API with each endpoint, you're going to describe the, the syntax or signature of that endpoint. The You're going to describe it. You're going to have a section about the parameters, uh, the response, uh, error messages, and an example. And maybe you have those six or seven sections consistent for every single endpoint in your set of API documentation. Why don't we have, um, maybe in the DITA world, a formal specialized REST API uh, topic type? Or, or is this a good idea even? to specialize somehow, somehow um, and enforce a, a similar pattern for each endpoint? I think it's always a good idea to uh, enforce a similar pattern. Um, as to why one doesn't exist currently in the DITA world, well, um, you know, that's, that is a world that is based on creating things that are used by the entire universe. So it takes a very, very long time. I don't even know if there's anything started to do that. Uh, I don't know if Ditter is particularly heavily used in the kind of companies who are producing REST uh, APIs. Uh, I mean, it's not a system that lends itself to a particular, uh, you know, a, a particularly agile approach. Um, it, it's more typically something that gets used in companies with very large doc sets, lots of reuse and lots of translation. Um, and that's not typical, in, I think, in, in the kinds of, of um, companies who are producing these kind of APIs. Um, I mean, they may have other divisions that have those problems, but I don't think it's um, necessarily the, the, you know, the, the spot. Um, my belief is your competitive advantage lies in your models. So I'm not particularly interested in waiting 10 years for a committee to come up with the general agreed on by everybody model because generally those models are loose and late uh, and they don't give me a lot of competitive advantage. So uh, I definitely think you should have your own model. I think you should have your own, you should have your own models for everything that you write about. Um, but I think they they have to be your own, and that's because a you'll get them fast enough, and b they will actually reflect your business, and they will actually uh, allow you to do things with your content that produce a real competitive advantage for your content and for your company. You know, this question of of data and API documentation is one that kind of weighs heavily on my mind because um, I, I I've been using data. Uh, just because, uh, well, it seems the easiest way to get into XML and, and output some kind of web help and so forth. But it doesn't seem like XML, at least Ditta's XML, um, is very well suited to the whole API doc scene. Uh, there's, a, there's a tremendous kind of uh, momentum towards using GitHub repositories to put your documentation or other uh, source 
version control repositories, having the, the doc be in flat files that travel with the code, uh, or just using simple methods like, like Markdown um, that allow maybe programmers to jump in and collaborate and so forth. Do you think XML fits into the API doc world, or is this uh, kind of an anomaly? I think structure fits into the API doc world. APIs are structured, whether it's REST or whether it's anything else. Structure is fundamental to an API, and structure is fundamentally necessary to getting things correct, complete, and repeatable. Um, you know, most of the people who are creating APIs and using APIs are also now uh, doing uh, what the uh, development world calls test-driven development where you write your tests first before you write your code. Um, and this is, has enormous benefits in, in terms of, of getting things correct uh, and, and therefore reducing the overall time spent on a project. And I know it's a really hard sell to, 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 to persuade tech writers that they need to do similar things. But, you know, we're human beings. Um, human beings are not good at being completely consistent off the, off the fruits of their own brilliance. We need tests. Uh, it's, a, it's part of why um, we need tests, we need structure, we need guidance, and it's part of why you need your own structure because your own structure structures and tests your own particular circumstances. Um, so we need structure. Um, and we will note, you can notice that most of those API doc formats like Java doc and Doxygen, they all use structured markup in the code. Inside those comments, the comment section in the code, there is some kind of markup that is delineating the various parts of what's being entered in, that, in those comments. That's structure. So structured writing is, is fundamental. Whether it needs to be XML, um, it, it really doesn't. It needs to be, uh, and this again is a universal, it's whatever format captures the structure you need in the most natural way. And then you can have an XML tool chain on the back end. But, you know, just because you have an XML tool chain on the back end doesn't mean you have to write in it. Uh, you write in it where it's appropriate. You write in something else where it's appropriate. Uh, as to Ditter, um, I, I, Ditter is the most talked about at the moment uh, in terms of XML, and Ditter solves a particular set of very real business problems for particular companies, and, and that's a wonderful thing. It doesn't solve all documentation-related business, business problems for all companies. Nothing does. There will be a place for Markdown. There will be a place you know, for, for Flare and Hats and FrameMaker and Desktop Publishing and Ditta and you know, other forms of structured documentation uh, and hopefully a place for Spiffy as well. Uh, Spiffy is, of course, you know, my uh, structured text, uh, structured writing project, and it very much is aimed at um, the, the API docs, programmers, writing for programmers, which is where I've been my whole career in technical communication has been about uh, writing for programmers and dealing with APIs, and it's very much where the ideas uh, in, in the Spiffy come from. 
Um, so I definitely think structure uh, is vital. Um, XML is a way of implementing structure um, and therefore potentially useful. And Ditter is another use of structure that is suited for many kinds of business problems, but not particularly this one. So tell me about, let's talk about Spiffy for, for a moment here. Um, what What is it about Spiffy that makes it more suitable for API documentation than something like Ditter? Um, well, a couple of things. Um, one is that the Spiffy toolchain is designed to pull in structured content from any source. It's, it's designed to be agnostic about, about the syntax, so it doesn't care whether it's coming in as XML or not. Um, now, lots of people do build pieces in front of a DITA system to take something and turn it into DITA so that the DITA can consume it. Um, but that's outside of DITA's uh, ambit. Um, Spiffy was designed with that that uh, that use case in mind from the beginning. So it starts, uh, the first phrase of the process is actually called extract. There's extract, merge, resolve are the first three stages of the, the synthesis process in Spiffy. Uh, so it's designed for that. Um, the other thing is it's designed for automatic linking so that it's designed that make it very easy when you mention uh, something like um, an XML element name, when you mention something like a, a function call in a programming language, that that can be automatically linked into the, um, into the API reference. And another thing that it's... I talked earlier about test-driven development. Uh, and one of the things that Spiffy's designed for is audit capability. It's designed to allow you to use your structures to audit your content. Um, I did one project, uh, it was a C API, um, where we applied these techniques. We took the existing API doc generator, we split it in the middle, pulled the XML out, um, and then we used it uh, to um, to cross-reference with the regular programming documentation that was being written in uh, in XML and being processed through a Spiffy system. And as soon as we did that, we found um, numerous errors in the API. Actually, in the API, not even in the API docs, but in the API, we found two libraries that had the wrong switch turned in the API docs generator, so they weren't, the docs weren't being generated even though the APIs existed. Uh, we found that the docs uh, had numerous incorrect spellings of uh, API reference calls. We found that they had documentation, uh, ex quite extensive piece of documentation on something that was had been done as a one-off for one customer was never ever supposed to be published, and we found numerous cases of deprecated um, APIs that had had not been replaced in the um, in the programmer doc documentation, and it wasn't like this was caused by sloppiness in the process. Um, 
that company actually had the most rigorous review process of any place I have worked for. Each individual piece of documentation got at least three and usually four separate reviews, two usually from developers, one usually from someone in the developer management chain and one from product management. I've never seen anything like it as a, as a review process. It was amazing. And they missed all of it. And as soon as we were able to use the structure that we extracted from the code and the structure that we had built into the docs we were creating and simply cross-compare the two, all of these errors were immediately obvious. Uh, and so this is one of the things that, that Spiffy is, is really designed for. And it's, it's something that really shines in something that's as technical and detailed as an API where you really need to get this stuff right. There's not a lot of, you know, discoverability, not a lot of trial and error in, in an API. It's, these are the calls. These are the values. Um, and if you get them wrong, then you get an error and you don't know why. So the, the, this audit capability, I think, is so important in, in this kind of documentation. Um, and Spiffy is built to, um, to do that. So I'm not sure if I totally follow the audit part. So you're saying that <clears throat> there's a certain structure in Spiffy that will make sure that um, there's not inconsistencies in in uh, the syntax of a code. I, can you just clarify a little bit for me? How is it that that using the Spiffy uh our architecture platform, I'm going to catch uh, errors that are happening. Uh, it's, I mean, the architecture gives you the opportunity to create content in a way that will catch, and it gives you an opportunity way to report them. To actually find the errors, then you've got to create the structures that will find them. Um, and this is a fairly simple thing, in fact, because what it means is that as I'm writing the programmer's guide, for instance, and I mention uh, an XML element or a JSON element that is uh, part of the API, or I mention a C function or a Java function or an XSLT function uh, or template that is part of the API, uh, I mark that up to say that that's what it is. Um, so, it, and it's as simple a thing as, as wrapping it with a tag that says function name or um, XML element name. You know, all you're doing is identifying what that thing is. So it's very quick and easy to do. Um, and then on the other side, we've got the stuff that we've extracted from the API. Um, uh, and it has got similar markup so that we can tell what these pieces are. So now, as, as I go through processing the uh, programmer's guide topic, um, the system sees I've got this um, reference to, the, to a, it, it, it says it's a, an API function. So I say, okay, I will go look that up in the API. Now, one of the things it's doing when it does that lookup is it's going to create the link which is, you know, the first thing you want. Um, but then if it doesn't find it, it's going to come back and say, look, you're talking about, and you said this is a, a part of the API, and yet 
it's not in the API docs. It's not in any of the content that I extracted from the from the API. Um, so what's going on? And it may be a misspelling. It may be you know it may be deprecated. It may be all kinds of reasons why it's there, but it catches it. And it it's a very very simple process to do. Um, there are some more. Um, Some other things you could do, for instance, uh, you could take the API reference and you could go through it and say, well, do we have a programmer's guide topic that mentions this API reference? Uh, and you may be doing that in order to create links, or you may not. You may be just be purely be doing it for audit purposes, but you go through and say, is the one? Uh, and if there's not, you create a list and say, look, you've got this, all these API functions and nothing in the programmer's guide about them. Why is that? Um, maybe I need to go and create that stuff. So it, it's, very, it's simply about what, what can I extract from what is, in these terms, the, 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 sole, um, the sole source of truth is the code, right? The sole source of truth about what an application, what an API does, is the code. And if I can go to the code, and I can pull information out, and then I can compare information in the docs to the information I extracted from the code, then I'm going to catch all kinds of stuff that's either missing or incorrect or incomplete in the documentation. So let me see if uh, I'm understanding this. So let's say that I'm writing a description of... Um, a certain function, let's call this the hello world function in my documentation. And when I say, you know, the hello world function can be used to say hello to the world, uh, I might take and put the word hello world function in some kind of uh, XML tag, uh, hello world function something. Um, and then when the spiffy renders this, it will take and look at all of these hello world function XML tags and pr produce a link that's that gives me a list of all the other instances where that uh, keyword or whatever is mentioned is that kind of how it works um, yeah I, I mean if you've got uh, function let's say the function is hello uh, so you would wrap the function name hello in a tag that simply said function name um, uh, and we're assuming here that the context is a single API. You may need to do something a little more elaborate if you've got multiple APIs, but we assume that this is from your API. Um, so now once you've got that, you know now that in this particular topic, you have got a mention of an API function called hello. So then... All right, I can now obviously go and find an API, go to the API reference stuff and find the function named hello and link to its page. That's the simplest thing I can do with that. Um, the second thing I can do with that is I can go over there and say, does it exist? Because otherwise, then I've just written about an API function that doesn't exist. That's the audit capability. Um, and then I can alert you. You've just talked about something that doesn't exist here. Um, but then an, another thing you can do is, um, let's say that when I'm generating the API documentation, as part of that 
documentation, um, we could do the standards, you know, API layout that everybody's used to, as you were mentioning before. But at the bottom of that, we could then stick in something that said, um, for examples of this API in use, uh, or for it, for discussion of this API, see the following. And, and that list is simply generated from all of the pages that mention the Hello API. So I don't have to have a, a writer sit down and generate that list. It's generated automatically. And as soon as somebody writes another topic that mentions that and builds again, then that list gets updated. And so we get this cross-fertilization, right? All the things that mention a thing um, and, uh, are, are related to each other. And you can even do things like build list pages that do nothing but list all the resources on a particular uh, on a particular item. And in fact, uh, there's a way to do it in Spiffy so that such pages get generated automatically. So that when you click on a link to the hello function, and let's say that in your doc set you've got an API reference for the hello function, you've got two different uh, code samples topics that talk about the hello function, you've got a programmer's guide topic that talks about the hello function, uh, and there's two different troubleshooting topics that mention the hello function, because sometimes it can go wrong if you call it wrong. Well, that's, that's five or six topics. So when I come to link on that, I don't necessarily want to pick one of those because different people may be interested in different ones. So what I, I can do instead is the Spiffy system can um, actually go and generate a list topic from all, all of the lists, all of the things that talk about hello. Then when I click on the link on hello, it takes me to the list topic. And the list topic says, well, would you like to see the API reference? Would you like to see some code samples? Would you like to see a general discussion of this in the programmer's guide? Or would you like to check out these two troubleshooting topics? Now, if I wanted to implement a similar functionality uh, using basic WordPress tools, I might have a, a post and put a tag on the page that says, hello function. It would be completely manual. How uh, is that doing more or less the same thing? Because a tag on a WordPress post is going to show me all other posts that have been tagged the same way. Um, I know it's much more prone to error, but is uh, what is fundamentally different about that tagged approach in WordPress to this XML approach in Spiffy? Well, structured approach. It doesn't have to be done in XML, but... Um, Simply, it's, it is the same class of thing. Um, one of the, the differences is that tags in WordPress are not typed. So if I'm, if, let's say I'm, I'm tagging something as, uh, with the word Paris. Well, I may get Paris, France. I may get Paris, Ontario. I may get Paris, Hilton. Um, so it, it doesn't. Uh, and, and that may not matter in some contexts, and in some other contexts, it may matter a great deal. Um, it, it, words like function, for instance, can mean radically different things, um, it, it, even in, even within fairly close contexts. Um, so the the sort of tagging I'm describing 
not only says this is hello, it's the function called hello as opposed to the general greeting and, and, and so on. So uh, the way it works in Spiffy is every, uh, every annotation of this kind uh, gets um, the term, the canonical version of the term, the type of the term, and the namespace of the term. Um, and you can actually consolidate those all into one tag. Um, depending on you know how how you define tags for your own space, uh, and this is why you need to detect, define tags for your own space because you you put all those things together and you get very much more precise. Um, so you will you will get a much more uh, precise linking, and you'll get a much more precise auditing from that than you would from just tagging. But it is definitely um, the same principle at work uh, as in a WordPress tag or, uh, or you know, the, the sort of um, things that one, one finds on, on Wikipedia. Actually, Wikipedia does a, a, is a little more specific. But it's, yeah, same principle, more specific to get you a more accurate result and a more accurate audit. And, you know, with these things, it depends on scope. So you want the simplest implementation of the principle that is effective in the scope you're working in at the moment. So if your scope is very simple, the WordPress capability may be all you need. Uh, if your scope gets more complicated or your audit needs are more complicated, then the spiffy approach may be what you need. Um, you know, it's, it's very much horses for courses. It's not, you know, can't have count how many times you hear um, people ask the question, what's the best software to create documentation? And you just slap your forehead, right? Because, well, it depends. And, and so this is an and it depends case. And the difference is a higher degree of precision, uh, both in how things are specified and where they're located. And either you need it or you don't. Yeah, I, I think the the Wikipedia example uh, parallel that you suggested is really much better than the WordPress one. I I agree, and and about the whole semantic underpinnings, uh, you can see on Wikipedia there's all kinds of disambiguation pages. <clears throat> if you did have a Paris page, you know you you would get the whole. Well, I don't know what Paris really is on Wikipedia, but you'd see like, did you mean Paris this, Paris that, Paris, and so forth. Yep. And I can see how that is a semantic problem that you're solving. Uh, and, and which they are solving through crowdsourcing, right? Um, that is, those kinds of problems on Wikipedia are solved by having thousands of editors noticing these individual semantic conflicts and going in and fixing them. Uh, and, they, and, and that works very well for Wikipedia, uh, but it's a slow process and it's somewhat inconsistent. If you're publishing an API... Uh, you don't have time for a slow or inconsistent process. And so we take what Wikipedia does um, through crowdsourcing the problem uh, and we handle it through formal structure and formal testing instead. You know, the quintessential example of this semantic mismatch is when you search for the word Ditta. <laughs> like you <laughs> invariably get Ditta Von, von T's uh, and it's crazy, like the way the two mix and match. Anyway. Right, because Ditta, 
the XML vocabulary and Dita Von Tees exist in different namespaces. Um, but when you just use the word, the search engine has no way of knowing what namespace you were, you were in. Um, so this is why, you know, this is the key difference between what Spiffy's doing and what WordPress is doing, um, is that it is placing these words into a namespace so that we avoid those kind of ambiguities right up front instead of solving them on the back end. Instead of the, the reader having to solve them on the back end, the writer addresses them on the front end so that we keep these terms in the correct namespace. There's another topic I wanted to touch upon uh, because I know you have thoughts on this. Um, a trend in a lot of API documentation is to minimize clicking by basically loading all the content into a single page view and a lot of times documentation has a table of contents on the left so it looks like you've got a bunch of individual pages but as you scroll down uh, the site automatically loads another page from the table of contents and by the time you get to the bottom of the page you look up and you realize that you've got all the content on one page uh, fluid topics, for example, they implement this infinite scrolling type of functionality. Um, and it's weird uh, when you first experience it because the page never quite ends. Um, uh, and especially among API docs where you have a set of classes or some other functions and uh, they're all kind of in a list, you see this sort of infinite loading more. Is this a, is, is infinite loading for your TOC a best practice or a poor practice for usability? I would say it's probably a worst practice. Um, and this is one of, the, it, 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 one of these things where when we invent, this is how human beings work. When we invent something, we want to use it for everything. So infinite scroll works really well for timelines, right? It works really well in something like Facebook, it works really well in something like Twitter because it's a timeline. And so you're going back and forth in time. Um, but what's the order in which you want to read about an API? Right? People don't read API references in order any more than you read the phone book in order. It's a reference document and you use it at random. Um, so you want to make random access as easy as possible, not linear access. Uh, and if we can go back to the 1980s and John Carroll's experiments that led to the writing of the Nuremberg Funnel, where he showed that even where you have people given access only to paper docs that are written in linear sequence, they don't use them that way. So, you know, to try and recreate the linear experience that people who were stuck with it on paper were desperately trying to get away from just makes no sense. Um, uh, Jerry McGovern wrote a really interesting blog post just last week about the continued decline of the, um, the homepage. Um, and he talked about how uh, a number of, of um, organizations, the New York Times, um, uh, several others, I I'm drawing a blank on the list, but um, they found um, that the New York Times in particular had a quite famous document, their innovation report, that was sort of leaked as an internal document. 
uh, and it said that their whole strategy online had been built around the presumption that a home page was what you wanted um, online just as it was what you wanted on paper. So the whole thing was built around the home page. And they found that in their online presence, nobody went to the home page. It was, you know, it was no more important than any other page. And so their whole home page based strategy was, was just falling apart. And um, so, and, and McGovern goes through several other cases of this um, and, and points out statistics that the use of home pages and their effectiveness um, for marketers has been declining and declining and declining. Uh, of course, I mean, this is, you know, every page is page one, right? Is another way of saying the home page is no more important than any other page. Um, and, and McGovern writes that web writing is network writing and network writing is link writing. So the idea that the best way to write for the web is to put one page that continuously scrolls just absolutely flies in the face of this. What you want are many pages richly linked to each other in intelligent ways. But when somebody comes to a page via search, you want that page to be right away about the thing they searched for. Because everything depends on information sent. You've got seconds before somebody moves on to the next link in Google or in your in, in internal uh, site search. So um, if you lead them to this, this big, huge scrolling thing, um, you, you, you're, you're treating them as if, as if they're going to stay in your little world uh, and as if they're going to read linearly in your little world. It, to me, it's, it's, it's a flight of ego on the part of the writer to imagine that that's how people are going to use their content, that the writer's written this great magnum opus that the reader is going to read. doesn't work that way. That's not even what, how techcom is supposed to work. Techcom is like a pit stop. Your, your success is not how much do they read. The, your success is based on how little do they read before they go back to being productive. So it, it makes no sense from a techcom perspective. It makes no sense from a web perspective. It makes no sense from everything we know about how people actually use content. What you want are well-focused, well-structured individual topics that respond well to search and that are richly linked to each other. Now, one last question, uh, um, and this is going to kind of piggyback on the direction you're going. What are some good examples of API doc sites on, on the web that you think kind of reflect the same uh, individual page, richly linked, uh, self-contained structure that, that you're talking about? Um, well, you know, the best source of API reference information on the web is Stack Overflow, um, and which isn't, of course, is not an, an API reference document, um, but there have actually been formal academic studies done of this. Uh, there was a study done that compared the coverage of the, I think it's the Android API, the coverage from the standard Android API docs versus the coverage that they have on Stack Overflow. 
Uh, Stack Overflow covers the vast majority of the API, all the stuff that's regularly used, um, and it covers it in far greater depth, far uh, more code samples, um, far more explanations of what's going on and, and what to use when and why, all of the how do I fit this to my business problem. Um, and, you know, and I spend probably a, as much time coding as writing uh, and more of late. And I mean, the way I solve programming problems and I, all the programmers I talk to basically seem to operate the same way is as soon as you hit a, code, a programming problem, you type it into Google. And most of the time, the place you land is Stack Overflow. Sometimes it's the API documentation. Um, and you're more likely to land in the API documentation if you type um, the name of an API, for instance, rather than typing the how do I do X in Y kind of question. So it will vary depending on what, what kind of question you ask. But that's where people are really going. And I, I, I keep on uh, validating this as much as I can, but all the programmers I talk to about this... Uh, you know, where are you getting your information? Where where do you find stuff? Stack Overflow, Stack Overflow, Stack Overflow. Um, and if you look at the structure of Stack Overflow, they are you know um, individual questions um, that deal with a particular business problem. Um, a lot of people do link from those questions into the API reference docs. Um, Often, of course, they don't because they don't. That system isn't particularly adept at doing that, and so very often I find myself somebody gives a, you know, well, you need to use this thing, and they don't give me quite enough, so I will highlight it. I will right-click and, you know, do a search just on that API, and depending how distinct it is, that'll get me into the right API documentation, and I might have to answer a little bit to my search terms and stuff like that. All of which is work. Um, and, you know, all of which is while I'm in Stack Overflow, there's a bunch of people saying, well, why are you using that API at all? You should be using this other API because it's way, way cooler. So, you know, this is people answering problems, solving their business problems outside of your stuff. Um, so I think we have, to, we have to look at that and say, A, that's valuable because we can't reproduce everything that's going, going on there. But B, we have to recognize that they're not hitting us and we want them to hit us because it's valuable to our companies when they do. And so we need to be more businesslike, uh, answer more business problems, and keep them around by linking into our own stuff so they don't go off hopping around and wasting their time Googling when we could simply give them a link to the API we're talking about. You know, I think that is such an interesting response um, to, to kind of... Uh, highlight stack overflow because and i i agree with everything you're saying when i come across stack overflow all the time particularly when i'm googling a simple question or problem um and it makes me wonder whether the fundamental paradigm of techcom is somewhat misaligned um i think the fundamental paradigm when tech writers set out to document something is they say, well, what tasks does my user want to perform? And you write out the tasks and then that you kind of guide and shape your material around these tasks. But 
Stack Overflow's paradigm is probably what problems uh, are people running into or what questions aren't answered. Um, do you think that like do you think that it would be more fruitful for a technical writer to list out what problem problems a user is likely to encounter, uh, what questions a user is likely to have, and to use that as a starting point instead of trying to to shape documentation by tasks? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, if for any product that's well designed for its common task. Um, most of those tasks are going to either be, a lot of those tasks are kind of going to be obvious, uh, or the person who, to whom they're not obvious is going to be a novice who is much more likely to go and ask somebody else than they are to go and read the docs, because docs, I don't care how hard you try, uh, docs are intimidating to novices. Um, and we've had this trend in techcom to, to write for ever more novice, 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 novice audiences, frankly, in part because it's easier to do. Um, but, and, and, and because you can always come up with the, with the tail, uh, from the tech support folk will always, you know, give you the tail of the person who didn't know which end of the mouse to click. They always have to document that. Well, I'm sorry. The person who doesn't know which end of the mouse to click is not reading the docs. So the real like money making business problem solving stuff is the the places where people are having problems and as problems accumulate their reluctance to continue using your product and their reluctance to recommend your product increases so if we're not intercepting those if we're not dealing with the places where people have problems, where they have business difficulties to fix, we're not adding a great deal of value. Um, you know, what value is there in a formal explanation of the obvious to people who don't need it? Um, and yes, you can probably find someone who, technically speaking, does need it. Whether they would actually read it is a different question. But the real place where money gets made is when you solve business problems. So is your doc solving a business problem? Um, if not, what's the justification for it? How is it making the company money? How is it improving the customer experience? Uh, this, is, this is where we need to be. Um, you know, if we're going to justify what we do, we've got to solve business problems and make money. Well, Mark, uh, it's, always, it's always fun and insightful to talk with you. You have a lot of uh, insightful thoughts. Uh, you know, a lot of times you go against the, the the traditional sort of way of doing things, and it's it's interesting. Um, is there any topic that that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover today? Um, in terms of APIs, I, I think the main thing I I, I really want to to reiterate, I think, is that an API is it's a way of loosely coupling functionality. Um, loose coupling is something that is of increasing importance. Uh, it's there's a Forrester report uh, not too long ago um, that talked about 
you know, why, why so many companies are rushing to agile. They're rushing to agile so that they can keep up with companies like Facebook and Amazon that are rolling stuff out so fast. And the way they're doing that is through loose coupling. Uh, loose coupling means that the parts of your system are not tied together so tightly that if you change one, you have to change the other. This is why we have REST APIs. REST APIs are, are more loosely coupled than the traditional kind of function call API. They're much more independent of which programming languages are you writing the two pieces in. Um, and the whole web is based on loose coupling. Um, you want to put up a new web page? You put up a new web page. You don't have to update an index of anything or, you know, submit it to a central committee or anything. You put it up there and Google finds it and it gets, and people start linking to it and it gets absorbed into the web. Um, that's loose coupling. The entire infrastructure of the web works on loose coupling. We're doing APIs. APIs have become so big and REST APIs have become so big because we want to have loosely coupled systems. So loose coupling is absolutely vital. And where, where tech writers are struggling with Agile, where they're struggling with REST, where they're struggling with APIs, no, a, a, a significant part of it is that our tools, our traditional tools and our traditional processes have been tightly coupled. Um, which means that when we want to create a link, we actually create a link directly to another resource. And we all know what happens when you do that, right? It becomes brittle, and as soon as you, something moves, the link breaks. It's called link rot. Link rot is the result of tight coupling. So the mechanism that I described earlier is a way of doing loose coupling. I don't talk about an individual resource. I say, I'm this is a, a piece of text about a subject. And then when I build, I find other pieces of text on that subject and I make links then. That link can't rot because it's loosely coupled. So if we want to understand what's happening in the software world, understand what's happened to the way people seek information. I mean, when people do a Google search and get a set of results, that's a loosely coupled set of results. So that's how people are seeking information now. They're building loosely coupled, uh, what I call dynamic semantic clusters um, of loosely coupled resources. Uh, in fact, coupled only by the fact that they are been returned by the same Google search. That's the only coupling that was there. So we cannot continue to be tightly coupled and the, the everything on one long scrolling page, tightly coupled. We cannot continue to be tightly coupled in a world that is entirely based on loose coupling. So this is, I think, is the fundamental challenge um, to techcom, is that we have to start moving to a loosely coupled view of what we produce and to a loosely coupled approach to producing it. And that, you know, that's what Spiffy's about. It's about giving us a loosely coupled tool set. Uh, but loose coupling, it's what the world is doing, it's what we need to start doing too. Well, thank you, Mark. Um, I appreciate uh, all your uh, all this podcast and all your responses to my questions. I've tried to ask you, you know, the toughest questions that I've had. So um, <laughs> now if people want to find out more about you, want, they want to read every page is page one. Uh, do you have a special link you want to point them to? Every 
pagespage1.com or some other site? Every pagespage1.com is the site for the blog and the book. There's a contact form there if you want to get in touch with me. The company uh, is Analecta Communications, Inc. Uh, that link is analecta.com, which is A-N-A-L-E-C-T-A.com. And there's a contact form there as well. Um, my email is uh, mbaker at analecta.com. So it's M-B-A-K-E-R at A-N-A-L-E-C-T-A dot com. Uh, and you can write to me there. And uh, I'd love to hear from anybody who's interested in this stuff and, and, and how we go about doing it. I just want to add, so you, if people are looking to hire you to do something, <clears throat> you're an XML consultant, right? So what kind of services do you provide to people? Well, XML is certainly part, XML is part of the toolkit. Um, I, I consider my field to be um, structured writing um, and what I call bottom-up information architecture, which is to say this idea of loose coupling. So what I'm really trying to, to bring to people is how do we do loose coupling in content? And that has two pieces. It's how do we write that way? Every page is page one is about writing loosely coupled content. So it is a, an information design piece. And then there is the tools question of how do we develop and link um, loosely coupled content. And that's where the structured writing piece and Spiffy and XML come in. So and, you know, the two really go hand in hand because it's, it's difficult to do one without the other. Uh, and so that, that's really the heart of what I do. So, um, I mean, and that translates into an awful lot of work in XML and XSLT and, and related uh, technologies. But that's the core of what I'm, I'm, I'm really about is you know, every page is page one, loose coupling, bottom-up information architectures. All right. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity.